one of the constant... It's no Kaiser blade, I know. One of the constant thoughts in Scripture is that of a journey. In Scripture, people are always journeying, and it isn't just Scripture. Some of you are a little off and like to go hiking, so you might have a hiking stick like me. You know, you go out camping. You, you, know, you, know, you know what you call a, uh, you know what a bear calls a guy in a sleeping bag, right? Soft taco. <laughs> I think that's funny, personally. So, journeying is part of really the human experience. It, it isn't just, you know, we all journey. Think about the journey, not, not just the physical journey, but the emotional journey. Think about how many of us as parents love the journey of seeing our children grow up. We are entrusted with these small little things, and they journey over the course of their lifetime to become fully formed human beings. We see it in sports. If you're an Alabama fan, how many times have you heard Nick Saban say the phrase, the process? You know, the journey that these teams go on, not just year by year, but over the course of what they're doing. If you're a basketball fan, maybe you're a 76ers fan. The Sixers have had something in the last decade called the process. And their process was, for the longest time, they were terrible. They sought to lose the most games in the NBA every year with the purpose of being terrible so they could get the number one draft pick. And so over a year, over about a five-year period, they were the worst team every year. They got the number one draft picked, and eventually they've got some talent now. So when they were losing, they kept telling their fans, hey, this is part of a process. We're actually losing on purpose so that we are going somewhere seeking to get better. This one-year disaster is part of something bigger we're doing. It was a process. It was a journey. Journey is written all over Scripture. So many folks in Scripture journey. We see Abraham leave behind his family, his kindred, all that he had in Ur. And Scripture says, go to the land that God would show him. We see Moses journey all the time in Scripture. Moses' journey started off in a little basket down the River Nile. Then he journeyed to the Promised Land, to Mount Sinai. Whenever he was on the run from the Egyptians after killing someone. Then he journeyed back to Egypt. Then he and the Israelites journeyed back to the promised land. We see David journey all over Israel. We see the Israelites journey into Babylon, back to the promised land. We see Jesus journey. After Epiphany, when the wise men came, he goes to Egypt. Then he journeys back. Then he journeys all through Galilee in his teaching ministry. And we see Paul journey across all the known world proclaiming the gospel. And we too, we as the church, we're called to get our staff. We're called to get our walking stick and journey. See, when Jesus ascended, he told the disciples to go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To go, to journey. So yes, the church 
It is a building. Yes, we have this building that is St. Matthew's United Methodist Church that we come and worship in on Sundays. And yes, the church is an institution, but the church at its heart is not a building. The church at its heart is not an institution. The church at its heart is a community of people that are journeying together on this path of faith, that are journeying together to go out and to serve and to be salt and light, to go out together and to make a difference. The church is more than just a building. The church is more than an institution. The church is a community of those that come together to journey together, to do like the disciples in the gospel lesson, to follow Jesus, no matter where he calls The church is part of a community that's on a journey. When we, when Aaron and I were talking about this series we were were in right now called The Journey that we're going to do through, through, through beginning of Lent, we wanted some walking sticks as a good visual aid. So when I saw this stick, I said, oh, I want this one because I feel kind of like Gandalf. (laughs) All I need is a white robe and white beard and I'd go, you shall not pass. I love Lord of the Rings. It's not Star Wars, but it's good. And uh, I almost wore my white robe with my white beard this morning, but I didn't. If you were familiar with that story, it's a story of people on a journey. Frodo and Gandalf and all the rest of them. And they're on a journey to save Middle Earth. They've got a ring that must be destroyed. And they journey through forest and fire and water and everything but they journey and the reason why they can keep going when it gets bad the reason why they're able to keep one foot in front of the other is because they have each other i put forth the real hero of lord of the rings is not frodo but it's sam because every time frodo wanted to give up sam believed in him They had each other, but they had a mission. They had somewhere they were going. They weren't just going on an afternoon stroll. They were on a journey. They had something they had to accomplish, something they had to do. Y'all, and that's the church. We, too, are on a journey. We, too, have each other. And we, too, have somewhere that God has called us to go and somewhere that God has called us to be. You know, in our Mississippi Annual Conference, the Methodist Church, I don't know anyone that's had a more blessed and fortunate appointment history than me. I have truly served some of the most amazing churches in our conference. Churches that I do not feel worthy to serve. I mean, I don't really feel worthy to be your pastor. What an amazing church this is. The fact that God has called me here to help lead you, it's frankly a task that I am unworthy of. And I hope to do it with the best of my power and my ability and God's grace. But it's something I never feel worthy of, never have. I don't, we were this morning in, in, the, in the hall before we come out, I was walking up the hallway and, and one of the choir members said, oh, we thought you were another soprano coming to sing. 
And I said, well, y'all, I said, I don't know if my sermon's any good, but it'd be better than my singing would be. I can't sing. But I know kind of what I'm good at. I like to preach, like to pastor, like to lead. And one of the things that I've been blessed able, able to be able to do in ministry is to help churches figure out what their journey is. What is it God's called the church to be? I was having a conversation with somebody this morning after, after the early service, and they asked me a question. They said, you've been all over the state. You've served all kinds of churches. Is every church you ever served on a downward trajectory? I said, yeah, most of them. So how do you keep that from happening? Because let's just be honest and transparent. It's very easy to say, boy, we like the preacher. Boy, we like the singing. Church sure is easy and fun. What do you do when you don't like the preacher? What do you do when you don't like the singing? What do you do then? How do you, how do you as a church guard against those dips that come in the road? You know how I think you know how you do it? You make sure you know where you're going. You have a sense of loyalty to God and to each other and to the calling that God has called you to be a part of. I've been blessed to serve some churches with some great journeys. When I went to Asbury, um, their thing with salt and light. So if you go back and look at my Facebook from five years ago, everything would be yada, 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 Asbury, salt and light, salt and light. That was our thing there, salt and light. But when I got there, we said salt and light a lot like it was like a religious mantra. We said it, we didn't know what it meant. Like something we said, but we struggled understanding what does it mean to be salt and light? So we spent some time there in our ministry figuring out what it meant to be salt and light. What does it look like practically to live this out? We got here. This church has one of the most amazing mission statements I've ever seen in my entire life in ministry. We're a family of faith reaching out to you with the life-changing love and grace of Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. You see it on the bulletin. You see it all over. That's our mission statement. Well, I'm a big fan of taking a big concept and kind of distilling it down to the essentials. Something bite-sized, fun-sized. I like fun-sized Snickers. I mean, I like little bit things you can pop in your mouth. So you take that big overarching, we're a family of faith, reaching out to you, the life-changing love and grace of Jesus Christ, and you distill it down. We distilled it down to life changers. We're about being life changers here. So you see, hashtag life changers all the time. You see it on on, on little bracelets. You see it on magazines. You see it on our website. You see it all over. Life changers, life changers, life changers. And that's awesome. But here's the thing. What does that mean? Be a life changer. Okay, cool. What does that mean? The church is really good about telling you how to do, telling you to do something, but then not telling you how to do it or not giving you the resources for how to do it. So one of the things I like to help a church do is figure out, okay, this is who we are, but this is how we live into it. And that's the journey we're going to take this year together as a church. But hopefully not just this year, but hopefully for the rest of our time on God's earth, we'll journey together in this way. What does all this mean? 
Well, it's funny. When I begin to think about what does it mean to be a life changer? How do we take this phrase of life changer and take it from being just more than words on a paper or more than a hashtag on social media, but something that we actually live into? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I began to think about that. I began to pray over that. I began to look at that. We begin to have conversations as a staff. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And I kept trying to shoehorn ideas into a system that weren't working. So I began to think about who are we as a church? You do something weird, and I don't know if you realize you do this. You do something I've never seen a church do. Never seen, never seen a church, served all over the state. Never seen a church do this. And maybe you don't even think anything about it. Maybe it's not a big deal to you. But I've never seen it. It took me forever to get used to it. When someone joins the church and they take our membership vows, what do you do? You respond back, don't you? You respond back by reaffirming your membership vows. I've never seen a church do that. I've never seen a church respond back to new members by everyone in the community reaffirming their vows as well. So as I began to think about it, we began to think about what it means to be a life changer. You know what we come up with? How we are life changers. How, what it means to actually be a life changer is this. We are loyal to God. We are loyal to each other with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. That's what it means. And if we are loyal to God and loyal to each other, and this right here, that's how we journey together. And that's how we become a life changer. And that's how we change trajectories. And that's how we build systems. And that's how we become something that is truly faithful to God and truly faithful to the kingdom when we are loyal to these things. So if we're a member, if we're a member of this church, we've already kind of made the promise to each other and to God to be loyal with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. If you're not a member, this is a Christian virtue. All of us as believers are called to be loyal with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. That's just part of the Christian life. And that's our calling. And that's what we're going to do in this year and in the years to come is we're going to be life changers by living together in these things. Living together with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Because when we live these things together, we change our very lives. We change the life of our families. We change the life of our communities. We change the life of our world. When we live together, when we journey together, when we are faithful together. Because here's the thing, y'all. Sometimes these things, we went, to, we went to Ruby Falls on vacation. I don't want to say something out of turn here. I didn't care for all that walking in the cave. You know, you seen one bunch of rocks, you've seen them all. I'm like, this is a waste of time. It's hot and stinky and... I don't know who these people are, and I just hit my head on something. It's a waste of time. Then we got to the falls. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. 
That's worth it. There's times you're going to wake up and think, I don't want to go to church. My bed is comfortable. Now I'm going to stay in it. I don't like those folks there anyway. They're mean to me. Get up and come anyway. Because we need this community. Our souls cry out for this. We're really good as the church is saying, hey, you need to pray more. Yeah. What do I do about it? You know, you can, we can learn to pray together. The disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. So my goal for our church this year is not just to tell you to pray more, but to give you the resources you need to pray better, to pray more effectively, to feel more effective in your prayer life. We as a church sometimes say, hey, read your Bible more. Okay, cool. And then you read Leviticus, you're like, what? This is crazy. We want to help you as a church, give you the resources you need to live out your faith. To truly have your faith impact your soul. Truly have your faith impact your family. Truly have your faith impact your community. As we journey together in this. That's our desire, is to see us live these things out together as a family. In Madison, talk, we talk about these things we hold, to com- hold in common, these covenants we make with each other. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. You know what your most valuable gift may be? I mean, we all need to tithe. We need to give to our church. We need to be faithful with our finances. But I don't know about you. I don't have another hour to spare in my week. Like if I had to give one more hour to something, I don't know that I could do it. The church this year might not be calling you to add something more to your schedule. We might be calling you to take something away. Because if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. Are we being faithful with our gifts? Not just our financial gifts, but the gifts of our very soul. These things are life-giving. And these things are how we journey together. This is who we are as a church. This is our DNA. This is what we say every time somebody joins the church. And this is not about, this is not a membership drive. This is a discipleship plan. This is how we live out the gospel together. Two things, though. First, in this, we don't do this to make God love us. We don't do this to earn God's love. God loves you anyway. There's nothing you can do to make God any more than he loves you. Nothing you can do to make God any less than he loves you. God simply loves you. This whole thing, these promises we make to each other and to God, this journey together, this is not about earning God's love. You need to understand this. This is a thankful heart's response to a loving God. We don't do anything to make God love us. God simply loves us because he loves us. 
God's grace is not earned. God's grace is received. So on the front end, we don't do this to make God love us. It's not about that. It's not about earning love. It's about receiving grace. Here's the other thing. When we do this, not only do we we know God's grace, we put ourselves in a position to hear God. It's kind of like in basketball. I love this analogy about this. It's about putting ourselves in a position to hear God. When I played basketball, I just played around as a kid. Um, I was a pretty good rebounder. It's going to shock you. you know, I know you look at me and think, man, that guy's got a great vertical leap. I know. I look like it. But I really don't. I can literally, on a good day, get inches in the air if I'm careful. But I was, I, I, I was, um, I was a good rebounder when I played. I've got a, um, I guess one way to put this, I've got a very rotund body. Or another way to put this, I've got a big rear end, you know, however you choose to look at it. And I was a good rebounder because you know what I was good at? I was good at getting in your way. I was really good at getting between you and the ball. And that's what rebounding is. Rebound, think, look, at Charles, look at Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley's six foot four, one of the best rebounders in NBA basketball history. Why? Because Charles Barkley understood positioning. He would get between his man and the ball. And in basketball, if you position yourself between your man and the ball, something good's going to happen. Either you're going to get the rebound or the guy's going to jump over your back and foul you. Either way, something good happens. You put yourself in a good position. That's what these things do. When we're faithful to God with our prayers, we put ourselves in a position to hear God. When we're faithful to God with our presence, we put ourselves in a position to hear God. When we're faithful to God with all these things, we put ourselves in a position to hear God. So as we are faithful, as we journey together, as we are faithful in these things, we will hear the voice of God. Because God has promised to speak to us in these ways. We don't do it to earn God's love. We do it. Because in doing these things, we hear God's voice. I don't know about you. Have you ever really felt God? I mean, like, have you ever in your life had a moment where you truly felt the power and presence of God? I have. And let me ask you. What was better than that? What in all your life measures up to that moment where you truly felt the power and presence of God? Not much. <laughs> Not much. We're going to journey together. And we're going to be life changers. We're going to change our lives. We're going to change our families. We're going to change our communities. And we're going to change our world. Not through our own strength. Not through our own goodness. Not through our own might. But through the power and presence of Jesus, the risen Savior. We're going to be life changers. And as we walk together on this journey, 
He's going to change lives. So I want you to join me. Will you join me this year on the journey? Will you journey with us? Will you experience the power and presence of Jesus Christ? Will you journey together with us as individuals, as families, and as a church? And as we journey, we will be life changers. Will you journey with me? Let us pray.